association. He worked for it. That's actually why he got arrested in Jerusalem, is he was bringing money from the Gentile church for the Jewish church, because he cared about the unity of the church, cared about racial reconciliation, cared about the poor, collected that money. He was doing all the stuff. 30 years, 30 years, we get these words, where he says, you know what? Nothing else matters but knowing Christ. He hadn't become this disillusioned, post-Christian kind of guy. The cry of his heart was, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. Can you resonate with that? Some of you have been a Christian your whole life. Some of you probably just became Christians in the last few years. Is that the cry of your heart? I want to know Christ. Nothing else matters. Ultimately, Here's his definition of knowing Jesus. He says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. For Paul, those things are wrapped up in knowing God. If I know God, then I have an experience with these, these things. The first one is the power of the resurrection. For Paul, knowing God meant that you experience his power. And if he never experienced his power, he probably would say, I don't know if I know God. I don't know what that does to you, but I think we need to sit with this and we need to sit with the powerlessness of the church, especially in the West, and say, what's going on here? What's going on? Do we, do we know God? I mean, we sing about his power, right? We sing about it. And I used to sing those songs and say, God, I don't want to sing the songs anymore. And I don't want, I don't want to see your power in the church service where we can kind of, you know, we can kind of manipulate it, you know. If we sing the right songs and we get the right speaker, we can kind of make God's power happen. I used to say, God, I want to see your power out in the streets. I want to see your power out there where there's not 30 worship songs before I lay my hands on somebody and ask you to heal them. I want to see your power to change lives. Power is the active presence of God in real life. In real life. So I went on tour with a band in Poland a long time ago. You guys know David Pierce. He comes and speaks here and yells at you guys every couple of years, doesn't he? I worked with David for a long time. So I was on tour with his band in Poland. And um, we were touring with, with the, the number one band in Poland at the time. Their CD was, was the top and their lead singer had just become Christian at a No Longer Music concert. And so we were touring with this band. So it was like, you know, chaos in some places where like people would come running after the lead singer, that kind of weird stuff. So we were playing a show and, and David, I was the band pastor, so I kind of did pastor stuff with the band. And, um, and David asked me that night, Mark, I want you to preach after the show. Normally David would preach. And it's like, oh yeah, okay. So we go to this club and it's kind of in this basement club and it's, it's pretty dark and, and, um, yeah, there's stuff going on, but we played, the band played, and, and, and I came on stage at the end, and I looked at the crowd, and it's Poland, right? And I said, 
you know what, you look a lot like the people back in Minneapolis. Because they did. <laughs> I said, when I, see the, when I look into the eyes of the people back in Minneapolis, I see that they're angry, just like, like some of you. And they're angry because someone told them if they just drank enough beer and had enough sex, they'd be happy. And they realize it's a lie, just like a lot of you. I said, they're angry in Minneapolis because someone told them if they got a good education and got a good job and made lots of money, they'd be happy. They realize it's a lie, just like some of you. And I went on to talk to them about how only Jesus can give our lives real meaning, ultimate meaning and purpose. And so I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this and I'm preaching the gospel to this you know, crazy crowd and they start, you know, I start hearing some words in English that I understand. I start seeing some gestures that I'm familiar with. There's some, uh, um, there's some hand gestures that are universal. And um, so there's like this, this you know, wave of opposition coming back. But at the same time, I can literally see the spirit of God on some of these kids that were there. And so we invited people who wanted to know Jesus to come on stage. And literally about a third of the crowd came on stage. And they prayed. And they asked Jesus to come into their lives. In, at this kind of satanic club in Poland. And I thought, man, it's great. But that's over there. You know, that's, that's over there. Everything happens over there. I want it to happen in my city. And so we had heard, you know, David's coffin stories and doing some drama on the streets. And we had a coffin most ministries have coffins, so we had a coffin. <laughs> Don't ask me how we had it, but we had one. And, um, and so we thought, okay, we'll do kind of this drama on the street. And, and uh, it, was, it was one of those Dracula-style Dracula coffins. It didn't have a cover, so we put black paper over it so it looked like a cover. One of our guys got inside the coffin, and we started marching down Cedar Avenue, those of you who know the West Bank of Minneapolis. And... Uh, we were hanging out outside the Hard Times Cafe, and back then it was everybody hung out in the parking lot to kind of drink. And, and so I went and I hung out with the crowd. I was talking to somebody, and our group is coming down the sidewalk, and, and we had a girl banging on a drum yelling, bring out your dead, bring out your dead. We made that up. And so they, they were coming down. They set the coffin down by the crowd. You know, some people start creeping up to it, and all of a sudden, Nathan, who's in the coffin, jumps through the paper, starts screaming. So a couple of those guys ran away. But, but you know, the crowd's looking at this, and Nathan stands up, and he's kind of dressed in a, you know, a suit like he's dead, and he, he starts talking about um, all the ways he, that we try to find life, and, and we're just complex plants have evolved, and there's no meaning in life. And he ends by saying, and we're all dead. And he gets done talking, and everybody claps. Like, they're into this, and that's what they believe. No hope. No purpose. We are all dead. It doesn't matter. Why not just drink yourself to death? And so the plan at this point was I was going to stand up and we were going to have, I was going to have this conversation with Nathan where I would, you know, I would basically preach the gospel to him so everybody would hear the gospel and without getting preached at. It was a great plan. Well, I thought so. And so I stand up and I go, hey, crazy guy, you're right. All man's philosophies are empty. They all lead to death, but there's another way. And I said, Jesus, and as soon as I said the word Jesus, place just kind of exploded and people started yelling and screaming and we didn't get to finish our cool little drama that we had but in a matter of minutes my whole team was talking to people on the west bank about Jesus and we were there for three hours that night on the sidewalk outside the hard times cafe talking with people about Jesus we got to pray with some people and it was like it was like the presence and the power of God came down on the sidewalk in my city in my city, 
It was such an amazing experience. That was like our first breakthrough into the scene. And then someone picked up the coffin and tried to steal it. <laughs> he had the coffin on his back walking away. I said, um, that's our coffin. He goes, oh, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> Apparently, he, he thought coffins were free in Minneapolis and you could just take one and so... I have a lot of stories about seeing the power of God, rainbow gathering on the streets of Minneapolis in little ways, and big ways. And, and for me, that's gotta be part of knowing God. If I never, ever experienced God's power in my life, if I never experienced his, his power to overcome sin, if I never experienced his power, I'm not sure Paul would say that's knowing Christ. Not sure he would. I think it's part of it. Got to tell one more story. We were at the Rainbow Gathering one year, and we were worshiping. Every year we'd have we all the Christian tribes, all two of us would come down, and we'd worship in the main meadow together. And we were having this worship time, and this guy fell down and and and, and was having uh, an epileptic fit. Right, so he was, he was having a seizure. Um, and I knew he was having a seizure because he had one in our kitchen earlier in the week. Right, so I'm down, down with him holding his head and stuff. And you know, the other, the other camp is, was a bit more Pentecostal than we are, and they're going, more Lord, more Lord. I'm like, actually, no. <laughs> no, that's, that's, not what ha- that's not what's happening here. But Nigel, my friend Nigel, was next to me, and he, starts, he just starts praying for this guy, just starts going for, Lord, heal him. And, and all of a sudden, he wakes up, and he comes to, and normally it takes him like a day to recover. He wakes up, and he's just like, he's like, fine. And then he, and then he, and then he looks at me, and he goes, I, I can't sit like this. I go, oh, well, well, let me help you. And he goes, no, you don't understand. I don't have knees. I got him blown up. He was, a, he was a golf veteran. He said, I don't have knees and I, and I can't sit like this. And, and then, then he stands up and he goes, I can't do this. And he starts going like this. He goes, I can't do this. I'm like, actually, you're doing it. And, 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 then, and then he literally starts running across the meadow. And he's, he's, I mean, it was right out of a televangelist thing. And he's just like running across the meadow. He's going, I can't believe this. I can't do this. It's like, and then he comes back and he's like, God healed me. This guy was, this guy had issues. <laughs> and he's like, God healed me. And he's running around the gathering saying, God healed me. And he's, and he's like, look, I can do this. I can do this. God healed me. And all of a sudden, just like, I've never been, I've never been in a scene like this before. All of a sudden, people just started being prayed for for healing. And there was like this healing stuff happening in the main meadow at the Rainbow Gathering. It was, it was one of the weirdest experiences that I've ever been a part of. It's like all of a sudden, the power of God just came down on this little Christian group in the midst of a bunch of naked hippies. And God showed up. Paul said, you know, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the power of his resurrection. And then he said, and I might share in, the, in his sufferings. Now, we want the power part, right? 
That part's like, yeah, let's, let's pray for the power right now. Let's pray for it. But Paul says suffering's part of the deal as well. Part of the deal. It's part of knowing Christ. It's not a possibility. It is part of knowing Christ. If you look at the book of Acts and you see like all these miracles in Acts, really works of power going on. Alongside of that, you see this call to holiness. Read Acts 5. This call to holiness. And you also see them experiencing opposition and suffering. And often when, when I read the book of Acts, I want to like get rid of the holiness and get rid of the, the suffering and just let's get the power part going. Suffering's part of the deal. Now, in this country, our suffering is probably going to be limited. I've, you know, I've been in situations that have been a little dangerous over the years. I haven't really experienced much. I got roughed up once at the Rainbow Gathering, got head-butted, which is not fun, by some, uh, some guy who definitely had passengers on board. Um, and was a bit, <clears throat> a bit out of it. So that wasn't fun, but I've not experienced the kind of suffering that, I've, that we see if we look at the news or with people that I've talked to who've been in other parts of the world. But there's a suffering that for us may be more relevant, this, this suffering that comes from obedience, that comes from sacrifice. God calls us to sacrifice. He calls us to let go of some things so that we can experience all of him and so we can step into the life that he has for us. I'm gonna talk a, a, a bit more about that uh, tomorrow morning. Um, about that whole idea. But I think if we're going through something that's really difficult, we need to, to kind of look at things and say, okay, am I suffering because I just live in a broken world? And if I'm suffering because I live in a broken world, we need to know that God weeps with us. He weeps with us over what's wrong with the world. He has a broken heart over the injustice and the violence in the world. He does. But if I'm suffering because of my own sin, well, the biblical answer is I need to repent. I need to turn around. And if I'm suffering because of Jesus, you know what the biblical word is? Rejoice. Jump for joy. Jump for joy. That's a bit extreme. The reward is great in heaven. You're in good company. You're like the prophets. Jump for joy. Rejoice. There's no authentic power of God without suffering and without pain. And I think sometimes, I'm not sure this is always due, but sometimes it seems like um, the place where God's power is the most is in the midst of pain. In the midst of pain. And when the apostles started experiencing that suffering for following Jesus, they didn't pray that it would go away. They just prayed for boldness. They just prayed for boldness. I was, uh, I crashed um, a class today on social justice, and so I, I was able to talk for a bit, and um, I mentioned in that class that that in the Old Testament, there was three reasons basically for the exile. 
for the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom to be taken into exile. And, and the first reason was pride and arrogance, which is kind of the overarching reason. The second reason was false worship, um, either idolatry or ritualism. And the third reason was social injustice. But make no mistake, they went into exile. They went into exile. And they experienced a suffering that they didn't have to experience. And my guess tonight is that some of you are experiencing a suffering that you don't have to experience. That you don't have to. And you're in the midst of some stuff that you need to get out of and you need to turn around. It's better to suffer for the right reasons than the wrong. Pretty sure uh, Peter has something to say about that. So if that's you right now, I want to encourage you to turn around. You will suffer, but suffer for the right stuff. Not because you're being stupid or stubborn or willful. Paul says that all the stuff that he used to put confidence in doesn't matter anymore. What matters is knowing Christ and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And then he says that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. For me, that has to do with hope. For Paul, knowing God included hope. And we live in a world where many, many people have no hope. They live a hopeless life. I had a girl come into the chaplaincy one day and she said, does your soul die when you lose hope? I said, sure seems like it, doesn't it? When we know God, we can live with hope. And so then we approach this world, this messed up world, and we can, we can lay down our lives for it and we can do it with great hope, right? So we can work for justice in this world knowing that one day Jesus is gonna bring about justice. And so we can work for it without becoming the angry, you know, justice guy. You know the angry, the angry guy, hippie? I know a lot of angry hippies. They're talking about peace and love and they're really angry about it. And we can step into that kind of scene and we can do it with hope, knowing that our labor's not in vain. Yeah, it's overwhelming and there's a lot of need in the world, but you know what? One day, Jesus is gonna bring justice. And we can step into relationships and we can risk because we know that one day, Jesus is gonna purify relationships. The thing that we were created for. And so we can, we can risk loving people. We can do it with hope. We really can do it with hope. I got, I got friends that are, that are seriously depressed over the environment. New Zealand is a very green kind of country and they're, they're like almost suicidal over what's coming because of how we're destroying the planet. We can step into those kind of issues with hope, knowing that one day Jesus is gonna restore the planet. So we can get involved in those issues because we know we can do it with hope. We can do it with hope. 
I, I get to mentor a bunch of people at the university, uh, some of the Christian students, and, and I was meeting with a couple guys, and I, and I, I just said to them, do you, think, do you think Christians are happier than non-Christians? And they both said, no. No, we're not. Because we're living all the, under all this obligation and guilt and shame. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> Have you guys heard of the gospel? Have you heard of the good news? Where we don't have to live under obligation and shame and guilt. And we can live with hope. I think we ought to be the most hopeful people because of our relationship with Jesus. And we have a lot of Christians who sit around watching Fox News and they're panicking with no hope. We get to step into the world with hope because we know God. And we get, to, we get to kind of splash that all over people. I have a guy who comes into the chaplaincy. Um, he's a gay student, um, and he's uh, an atheist. But he wants to talk to the chaplain all the time. Go figure. So he comes in. He comes in one day and said, Mark, uh, I think I'm no longer an atheist. I think I'm an agnostic. I said, ah, oh, Robert. Oh, I shouldn't have said his name. Oh, person. That's fantastic. And, 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 and then I said, do you know what the, the Latin word for agnostic is? He said, no. I said, it's ignoramus. <laughs> and he didn't think that sounded as cool as agnostic. I said, why don't you find out? But I was talking with this person that day, and, and you know, he's, he's got a lot of issues. And I just looked at him, and I said, you know what? Robert, you need to know that you're deeply loved and that you're infinitely valuable. And as I said those words to him, he just, tears started going down. Because he never heard that. So he doesn't know love and he doesn't know hope. And so when I talked to the symposium on sex and sexuality and I heard all this garbage for hours, I got to stand up and I got to say, actually, sex is not about body parts and it's not where we get our identity. Our identity needs to be transcendent, come from something, someone transcendent. And then I looked at this academic staff of Victoria University and I told them some stories about being able to watch students fall in love and how, how fun that is. And, and, and then I told them about Robert, and then I looked at them, and I said, you know what? You guys need to know, too, that you're deeply loved, and you're infinitely valuable. And this secular, anti-Christian university, I had staff coming up to me and say, oh, what were those words again? What were those words? Deeply, what was that again? And they wrote them down, and they put them in the school newspaper. And they heard some words of hope. You know what? You guys are deeply loved. Infinitely 
valuable, wonderfully capable. And God's created you to know him. And all the fullness of knowing him, his power, his suffering, his hope, you were created for that. And if you've forgotten your way on that, I want to encourage you to just turn around. And I know that some of you are dealing with such shame right now that the idea of a God looking at you and saying, I deeply love you and you're infinitely valuable seems impossible. But he doesn't love you because of your performance. He loves you because he created you. And you're accepted because of Jesus' performance. I'm not going to be manipulative because I don't don't really do that well. I wasn't a youth pastor long enough. Got that too. Um, I know half the guys here are struggling with pornography. I just know it. I can see it. And you're struggling with shame. And I know you girls have a whole other different set of issues that you're dealing with. And a lot of you are dealing with shame as well. That's not the life God's called you to. It's not. You're deeply loved. You're infinitely valuable. And you just need to turn around. We are created to know him. Jesus defined eternal life as knowing God. And Jesus, whom he sent. That's how we define life. The deeper life, it's knowing God. So if you're here tonight and you don't ever experience God's power, you've never suffered, and you have no hope, my guess is you don't know God. And maybe it's time to clear the decks and figure out what that's about. So why don't we have the worship team come and do something? And if you feel like you want to come up here and pray, you can come up here and pray. I'm sure there's, if you feel like you need somebody to pray for you, um, I'd be happy to do that. You're probably sitting next to somebody who might be happy to do that. Um, I'm 52 years old. I know I look about 51 and a half, but I'm 52. (laughs) And at this point in my life, I just, I just so connect with Paul's words. I just want to know God. I just want to know him. And I want to know his power. And I f- get frustrated when I don't see it as much as I want to. And I do want to share in his suffering. And I get frustrated when I back away from it. And I do want to experience his hope and get it all over everybody else. <laughs>